Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. I want to talk about trust today. And so one of the ways that I try to be trustworthy is that I really mean it when I say, come up here if you want to, and if you don't want to, now that's between you and your parents, but um, if you don't want to be up here, I'm okay with that. Um, And I do that so that I can be trustworthy, so that I can say, hey, I want you to know that you can trust me. So that's one of the things I do. So I have a question, and this is a question for everybody because at different ages we verbalize this differently, okay? So my question is, what do you need in order to be able to trust somebody? What do you need in order to be able to trust somebody? So y'all up here in the great seats are welcome to answer, but I'm going to stand up so that they all know that they have to answer too, okay? All right. What do you need in order to trust somebody? Truth. Relationship. Relationship. Truth. You need to look them in the eye. You need to look them in the eye. Yeah. Respect. Respect. To be safe. You need to be safe. We need relationship. We need to look each other in the eye so that we know that we're telling the truth. We need respect. We need to respect them, and we need to know that they respect us. Yeah. Um, So Bob has one. How can you show someone that they can trust you, Bob? There. Man, that almost just crashed and burned. Yeah. How else can you show someone that they can trust you? Introduce yourself. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Here's who I am. Here's how you might know me or a context that you can put me in. Yeah. Well, you're giving them a good solid handshake and looking them in the eye. Yeah. How else can you show somebody that they can trust you? You can keep a confidence when you are told something and asked to hang on to that privately. You can actually do that, yeah. And that's something that we only learn through relationship, yeah. Um, Because we only find out whether someone will keep our confidence if we have tested that, tried that with them. Yeah. Anything else that we can do to show others that they can trust us? Oh, return that extra money that the clerk gave you at the store. Yeah. So, and walk, what was, it was like seven miles, right? You had to walk back with the 23 cents. Then you get to run for president. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so being, uh, being truthful, um, even in contexts where it might seem like it's... Yeah. All right. Well, we are in the third week. Can you believe it is the third week that we've heard from the Sermon on the Mount? I know you're thrilled to hear more from the Sermon on the Mount. So this has been Jesus up a mountain teaching, like all the way up there, 
uh, with a little microphone in front of him like Warren's going to have in a second. And we're going to get one more scripture reading from the Sermon on the Mount next week during Children's Sunday, so one of our kids gets to have the final word from the, the Sermon on the Mount. But now, last week in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us not to in God for what you need. And then, before just now, we skipped just a little bit. And the part that we skip, this is an important part. I just didn't want it to go on too long because we have Warren. That wasn't fair. Um, but a, a part that we skipped but is very important, Jesus tells us not to judge other people, not to pass judgment on other people. So we have to pay attention to our own faults and problems and not judge other people for theirs. So that's important to know as we read on with this, but Warren's going to take it from there. Prayer for illumination. Testify to us, O God, by the voice of your spirit. Put your law in our hearts, write your word in our minds, and show your will in our lives through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. You ready for this scripture reading that he's built up for you? Okay. Uh, Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12 and 24 to 29. It can be found on pages 8 and 9 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Please follow along as I read. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. If there's anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if the child asks for a fish, will you give them a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who has built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words in mind and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and the beat against the house, and it fell. And great was this fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. So you may know this one. Bear with me if you do. 
Uh, it's the one about the rabbi who used to take his annual prayer retreat at the local monastery. And uh, so he arrived after a hard season of high holy days and ready for rest and relaxation, and he was just dismayed at what he found when he arrived at the local monastery. Things were just in disrepair, and the monks were at odds with each other. It was like this cloud hung over the place. And so the rabbi took the abbot aside and asked him and said, what is going on here? And the abbot said, well, the tension has just been really growing, especially over the last several months, but this is rooted in some years-old disagreements between the brothers here. And we're not quite sure how to dig ourselves out of this. So Rabbi, as you are here uh, resting and praying this week, would you pray for us? And so the rabbi went off to the hermitage for the week, and then at the farewell dinner at the end of the week, uh, he sat down with the monks and said, I've got an announcement to make. The Holy One has advised me that the Messiah is among you. Like a lot of Jews, he was really charitable about couching his uh, phrasing in language that Christians would understand. And so the monks all looked at each other and said, the the Messiah is among us? And the monk looked at that brother and was like, no way is that guy the Messiah. And he looked at that brother and said, no way is that guy the Messiah either. And he looked at that brother and said, that's not the Messiah for sure. That guy hasn't returned my book. This guy shortchanges me at dinner. That one doesn't listen. Let me tell you about how that one doesn't listen. And so they refused to listen to each other. They refused to offer each other seconds. They refused to help each other out in the wood shop. Everybody had at least one so-called brother who could not possibly be the Messiah. They knew that he would badmouth them behind their back or even steal from them. Now, at the end of the day, every one of these monks knew, was honest enough to know that it wasn't them either. Certainly, I'm not the Messiah, but who could it be? How can this community trust each other, even if the Messiah is among them? Now, that might sound familiar to us, even if we haven't heard the story. As we look around ourselves, we know that community life in our world can be so deeply mistrustful as that. Not particularly more at covenant than anywhere else, but certainly in the culture all around us. And it is really important for us to have settings like this church where we come to know each other, where we have those relationships with each other beyond the lines that otherwise divide us from each other. But we also know that when we're honest, we spend more time every day with the news than we do all week with this church. We spend more time every day with the things that sort us according to how we ought to think and who we ought to trust and believe in and agree with than we do all week with the people that we actually want to reach across those fences toward. And so we struggle. 
This is not special to here. This is all around us, right? We struggle to honestly disagree with each other in good faith. We struggle to find ways to talk to each other, to resolve what we need to resolve. At most, we often find ourselves agreeing not to talk about certain hard topics that are between us. And real dialogue? Real dialogue about the issues that really matter? Well, they require relationship. They require trust. They require that we can trust each other's intentions. They require that we can listen to each other, even and especially when we are going to disagree about what we should do. Sometimes we even disagree about what the problem is. And that dialogue, I'll say it for like the fifth time already, that dialogue can only happen with people that we already have relationships with. Now, part of what that means is that dialogue can't happen with an ideological position, or that dialogue can't happen with a polarizing figurehead, whoever that may be. And in the meantime, the polarizing figureheads and the other forces that try to fit us into these boxes and keep us separate from each other, all of those forces and people, they gain power at the expense of the people that we honestly, honestly believe we are caring about. They gain power at the expense of trans kids and farmers and the people behind the police badges and communities of color. And meantime, we struggle. We struggle to talk to each other, to trust each other. We struggle to be in relationship with each other. It's as if there really isn't enough for everyone and every community to thrive. Enough food, enough opportunity, enough dignity, enough love. That's not so different from the world that Jesus was preaching in. Jesus was preaching in a world where it seemed like there was not enough. And that's why when Jesus went up on that mountain to proclaim the kingdom of God, he said so much about trusting that there will be enough. He goes up on that mountain to call into being a world where we can, in fact, trust in each other, where we can, in fact, share with each other what we need. Part of what the kingdom of heaven looks like is a social and economic and political and spiritual and relational reality that exists among us and between us. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus wants us to know, is a way of life. It's a way of life that is rooted in trusting God. That's why he tells us to ask and to seek, and he tells us not to worry, and he tells us to take the chance of doing to someone else what we wish they would do to us before they have done to us what we wish they would do to us. Jesus calls us to take the chance of living in the truth that in God's reality there is enough for us. And then he tells us to live that out, to actually try that on, to, to live out our trust in God by offering trustworthy relationships to each other, by offering the risk of not judging, 
of telling the simple truth, of seeking to please God more than to impress our neighbors. Jesus is talking to us about our relationships with each other because all of Jesus' commands to us in this sermon are in the plural. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon for a community, not for individual Christians trying to live this out as if the rest of the world around us didn't matter. And yeah, they are commands. This reading ends, the crowd was amazed because Jesus taught them as someone with authority. Jesus teaches us like someone who knows that we have to actually do what he says, not just tell ourselves that we believe his ideas. The Buddha said that as well, incidentally, about his own teaching. He said, don't believe this stuff because I tell you. He said, try this out, experiment with it, find out whether what I'm telling you is true. I think it's that kind of authority that Jesus is using as he teaches us. He's using the authority of God's creative power that has to actually be lived out in the world. And it turns out that a new reality, a new social, political, economic, spiritual, relational reality comes about when we live in the way that Jesus invites us to live. And that reality is not built on our own effort. It is built on the rock of God's promises to us and through us. So God's promises eventually took over at that monastery. The monks, even though they knew for sure which one of them was not the Messiah, and they also knew which other one was not the Messiah, they knew the rabbi wouldn't lie to them. He'd been there for you know, so many times on retreat, they'd gotten to know him, and, and they knew if he said the Messiah was among them, he was on to something. So each monk knew that it wasn't him, but then each monk ran out of other brothers that it couldn't possibly be, and so they had to start entertaining the possibility that maybe they were wrong, and maybe, in fact, the Messiah was among them. Maybe was standing right in front of them. And so they started to react to each other differently. They started to dish out the best ladle of soup just in case this might be it. They started to listen to each other's questions and even each other's complaints because if this brother in front of me is the Messiah, well then what he has to say matters. And before long, the the monks started to suspect something else. They started to suspect, if this brother is treating me so well and giving me so much respect and understanding and care, maybe, maybe he really is. Because this is how the Messiah would treat me, I would certainly hope. This is the compassion that I would feel here. And if this brother is the Messiah, I can take the risk of asking him for help asking him to help me solve problems, asking me to understand what our differences are. And so the authority of this rabbi's teaching, it played out. And that new reality came into being, even if it was for a little while, here and there, as we started to trust each other again. And you could call that the kingdom of heaven. Amen.
And now, a moment for mission. Our moment for mission today lifts up our February Coins for Concern partner, which is Orchard Place. And all the loose change in the offering plate this month will go to support that vital organization. Orchard Place helps many of the state's most emotionally troubled and helpless children to help them develop strong, promising futures. Orchard Place contributes to the community's well-being by serving the mental health, substance use, educational, and juvenile justice needs of children, adolescents, and young adults. Orchard Place is a nationally recognized leader in children's mental health and juvenile justice services, and it's one of only a few organizations in the country that incorporate both mental health and juvenile justice services for both children and adolescents. Visit orchardplace.org to learn more about supporting Orchard Place, including their annual spelling bee next month. And we welcome your coins for concern this month, which will go to support Orchard Place. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.